the Lord. Let's be seated. What a wonderful time in the presence of God. Great. There's nothing I enjoy more than coming into the church here, finding God is here before I get here. And uh, that means we've got a great, awesome worship team who have been in here worshiping and bringing His presence. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Michelle did an awesome job, team. You did a great job. And, uh, you know, the, the core of Christianity, of course, is a relationship with Jesus Christ, being in love with Him, encountering Him and carrying His life. So often we reduce it to lots of things you've got to do or don't do, but that's not what it's about at all. It's actually carrying the presence of the living God to the community. Amen? But you can't carry something you don't have. And uh, around the world, so many places we go to and have a look and come into churches, the thing that uh, wonderful churches, wonderful buildings, wonderful program, all kinds of wonderful things. as only money can buy in some places. And I feel, oh God, where are you? Because you don't feel this tangible presence. How we must hunger for the tangible presence of God. You say, man, praise the Lord. Once you open the Bible again, Luke chapter 7, we're looking at igniting a fresh passion for the Lord. And we looked last week at how passion is a strong, burning desire. It expresses itself in words and actions. Eh? You can't be passionate about something without it showing. I've never seen anyone who was passionate about something didn't tell as soon as you got to talk with them. How many know that God is passionate? He has strong feelings, strong desires, and He expresses them. God is extremely expressive. Passionate people are generous and extravagant people. And we think that the culture we're in is actually a God culture or that's normality, but actually it isn't. Culture of heaven is the culture we're now birthed into by the new birth, and it has an extravagance about it. I mean, what kind of place do you go and they even line the streets with gold? Is that extravagant or what? Someone sent me an email this week and they had a photo of a, of a jet. Uh, I don't know, it was one of the Arab sheiks in the Middle East, and uh, everything on it was gold. Gold toilets, gold taps, gold basins, gold this, gold that. You walk away thinking, whoa, that's extravagant. And we condemn it. Actually, God's extravagant, extremely extravagant, and extremely passionate. You have a look around at the expressions of color in nature, the diversity of nature. There's not just one or two plants, and you've got them everywhere. There's multitudes of them. That's passion. That's expression of life from within. God is passionate. When Jesus came into the earth, it was a passionate expression of God. It was an expression of who he's like. When Jesus walked on the earth, uh, he, he, he expressed the passion of God. Uh, trouble is we kind of don't see when we read the Bible, we read it through the eyes of our culture. Conservative English culture. And we fail to see the passion. When you have a look at Jesus and see the tremendous passion that's in him. And the way he embraced me, I, I was just, we just looking at, uh, we play sometimes in the morning the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, it's great to see the Gospel of Matthew in video, but the one thing I hate is the lack of passion in the man that's playing the part of Jesus. They've kind of emasculated him. You know, and they get a nice Jesus. And he's just like a lovely person, always smiling, always nice, talks quietly and nicely like so many nice people here. And the trouble is, that's not really what Jesus is like. It's only a, a movie version of him. The Bible tells what it's like. When he went to the grave of Lazarus, he wept. So much for all the men who can't express tears. So he, he wept. He was a passionate man. He laughed. 
He was full of joy. And then he got angry. In John uh, 2, it tells us he went to the temple. He looked around. He was very angry with what he saw. And he and our gentle Jesus, meek and mild, made a whip. Now, he took time to make the whip. And while he's making the whip, he's anticipating what he's about to do. And then when he finished making the whip, and the disciples watched in shock as our gentle Jesus became extremely passionate. And he didn't just go there saying, all right, okay, we need some changes around here. He took the whip to them. I think Jesus comes back for his church, a lot of things you'll take the whip to. Better make sure it's not you. (laughs) Better to yield now and get the whip or the stick. Huh? But he did. You, you've got to sort of look at it and realize that he went into a court that was uh, full of people yet using their opportunity there to exploit the people of God and take from them instead of bless them, uh, exploiting them through money, uh, through charging uh, usury and whatever interest and things on the money that they were taking. They were just literally corrupt. And Jesus went in with a vehemence. Now, I wish I could have seen his eyes then. Now, that'd be scary. I wouldn't mind being behind having a look, but not in front on the other end. He took to them with a whip, drove them clean out, tipped over the tables, rolled everything up and out of the way. That's the same Jesus we serve, you know. We don't serve a different Jesus unless you have reduced him to something which the world says, that's an acceptable Jesus. You can have your Jesus, but not a passionate Jesus. You can have Christianity, but not a passionate Christianity. A radical Christianity. Or you can go to church, but don't live it out through the week. You can have a little bit, but but don't get carried away. Become extreme. Actually, passionate is normal in the kingdom of God. What happens is we accept something that's not normal, think it is normal, and think we're right, and those that are out there are radical. God calls us to be passionate, passionate about him, passionate about life, passionate about what we do, focused in our life. The Bible describes him when he comes, his eyes are a flame of fire. Now, I don't know if you ever looked into people's eyes, but the eyes tell you what's going on inside them. And some eyes look real dead. Hello? How long since anyone spoke or came into life there, you know? But not so in Jesus, his spirit alive with the life of God, passionate, fire in his eyes. Well, that's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus we serve. So don't reduce him like they did in the the Old Testament to a God like the gods of the world. Just another God. This one we serve is awesome. Powerful, wonderful, creative, passionate, loving God who never withheld anything but extravagantly gave his very, 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 very best to us. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the absolute extravagance and passion of God. See? Think about that. See? Now we're reading the story. We're just going to pick it up from last week and I want to carry on a little bit further and I go into the book of Revelation. We'll look about our first love or our first passion for him. Where did it go? Look that way. Okay. In the story in Luke chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 37, there was a woman who was a sinner. The thing is about her, though she was a sinner, she was extremely passionate and radical for Jesus. 
I saw the, we watched a little clip on the, on the video today and uh, just watching this woman, I thought, oh my goodness me, she didn't do it like that. She didn't do it like that. They kind of softened it so it's palatable, you know. Softened all the passion so it's sort of nice and not too radical. But she wasn't like that. Here's a person who's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. The Bible says she was a sinner. Doesn't give a name. Meaning that most likely God wants you to know this could be you. And the other one who is given the, the name is, is, a, is a, a, a religious man. And this person who was a sinner was so full of gratitude because the Lord had loved her, had touched her life, had forgiven her. She was so filled with gratitude. Gratitude overflows with extravagant, generous, passionate giving. See? One danger we have with offering messages is that people start to think, well, I give so I can get. Only a part of the truth. Actually, the, the true reason we give is because of gratitude. Overwhelming gratitude that makes you want to do something. You ever had someone who really did something great and you just wanted to thank them some way? That's it. That's what we're talking about here. This woman had encountered Jesus in her fallen state and all her sin, her ugliness, the shame, whatever she was involved in, the shame and the grief and the, the, the loneliness that it had caused. And Jesus reached out and when she looked in his eyes, she never saw doubt, condemnation, a withholding. She saw an extravagant lover. Someone who saw who she was like because he looked into her and yet reached out and just loved her and welcomed him into his life and forgave her. That is what produces passionate people. One difficulty we have in our nation is there's a great deal of ingratitude, unthankfulness. The gratitude is the foundation upon which passion comes. We're so grateful to God. We have to do something. And this woman was so passionate, came behind him and she stood behind him. She shouldn't have even been in there. She actually gate crashed the party. Oh, well, that isn't very Christian. Well, maybe it isn't very Christian, but Jesus loved it because it was very, very passionate. Come on. The trouble is we view all of the Bible through the eyes of respectable religion Instead of actually reasoning, re, re, realizing God loves passionate lovers. And this woman came, she stood and she began to weep and weep and weep. Just seeing him again. She was overwhelmed with a deep gratitude that he loved her and accepted her. Didn't withdraw from her. Knew what she was like. What a contrast to religious people. In their self-righteousness who look and judge and then wall the heart and give you the cool greeting. She gave a passionate, loving greeting. And she stood there overwhelmed with love, just weeping with gratitude. And then began to express it through her tears washing him, his hair, her hair washing his feet. And then she took what was the most expensive thing she had, something she'd saved up for a rainy day, no doubt, and poured it extravagantly on him. Jesus commended that. He commended that passionate love. And that's what he's looking for from you and me. Passionate lovers. Not people who are just going to do lots of good things, but people who are in love. Not like a marriage that's been around the rocks for a few years and now there's nothing left in it. The passion's gone. There's just routines left. 
That's not what God wants. He wants the fire. He wants you in love with Him. And so He'll continue to reach out and draw you back to Himself. But the season is about a fasting. It's about God reaching out to draw us near Himself because He's got new things for us. And He wants to enter into a deeper relationship. This woman was commended for her passion. How did the passion express itself? And we shared last week how it expressed itself. It expressed itself with the extravagant, abundant giving. Extravagant, sacrificial giving. Sacrificial, it was extravagant, generous. God is generous. He likes us to be generous. Secondly, it was expressive. It was not just, so it was, there was, there was light in it. it. It was expressive. A lot of marriages are struggling because there's no expression of love. Love needs to express in words and emotions and feeling. Not just in things you do or little gift you give. It's the words. It's the expression of life. That's what love is about. Passionate love. Passionate love was not only about sacrifice and giving and about expressing the life. It was also about honor and value and about respecting the person concerned. And then finally, we saw it was about truth, about being actually open or without covering up and being vulnerable. Now, that woman fulfilled all of that. She was extravagant in her sacrificial giving. She was expressive in her giving. And she was absolutely vulnerable and and absolutely out in the open. And they did rise up and they did accuse her. She didn't care because she was captivated and expressive of her love for Jesus Christ. You wonder why we have expressive meetings. It's not because Watts Bay City does that kind of stuff. It's because that's what God is after. Not just noise. You can have a lot of yelling and shouting and it's as empty as can be. But we're talking about a heartfelt, passionate expression of gratitude to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to come into his presence with thanksgiving, gratitude and appreciation. Amen? Thank you. I'm going to change the mic. On another whole level now. Oh, thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate that. Okay, I want you to look with me in, uh, in Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2. And uh, <clears throat> you know the one we're going for. Revelations chapter 2. Now, the purpose of this is not to condemn us, but rather actually to inspire us. And the Bible is talking about a number of churches in verse, and we'll read it up in verse 1, the, to the cha- angel of the church of Ephesus. Right? Says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. So basically, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of magic. It was the place when the church got started. It was one of the toughest places in the world to start. And uh, Paul ministered powerfully in the realm of deliverance, confrontation of demons, in the realm of the power of the Spirit to break these strongholds in Ephesus, which was not only the center of magic, it was where the great temple of Diana stood. Paul went in there, and over a space of two to three years, he so confronted the demons, so confronted what was ruling in that place, the Bible says that it affected the economy locally. And the gospel went through the whole region of Asia in the space of two years. So in the end, he says, we better move on. We've done our job here. Everyone's heard the gospel. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, that's the place that this church was birthed. It was birthed in power, birthed in the anointing of the Holy Ghost, birthed in radical demonic confrontations. And to that church, 
He says, I know your works. I know what you do. Now, God is not interested in our good intentions. He's interested in just exactly what we do with our life. And the Bible tells us over and over and over and all through these, the book of Revelation, I know your works. I know what you do. Yeah, I heard what you say, but I'm watching what you do. I heard what you say, but I'm noting what you do. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking at what we are doing with our life. And he says, you've got a lot of great things. He said, look, listen to the things that they were great. He says, I know your labor. They worked hard. I know your patience. You've hung in there when it's been hard going. I know you can't bear those that are evil. Oh, you've got something inside you of godliness. I know you've tried them which say they're apostles and not and found them liars. You, you have carried the weight of the day. You have patience. And for my name's sake, you labored and you never quitted. Now, that's a really good commendation. And for a church to have a commendation like that, it must have some love in it. There must be a love and a faith in Jesus Christ to be able to do all of those kind of things. Hang in there, not quit, stand up against evil, begin to walk and last the distance of persecution and opposition. Man, that's really something. It's God. But he said, I've still got something against you. You see, God looks right to the core. He said, although there's all these good things, there's one thing that's missing that I really want. And when this is missing, it's almost like everything else is at a lesser level. He says, this is what it is. is you've left your first love. You've left your passion. You've left the fire, the radical fire of just loving me and loving to be in my presence. I know you're doing lots of good things. You're working, you're serving, you're running your life well, you're standing against Steve, you're doing all these kind of things. But what I'm looking for is I want you to love me. I want you to be passionate in your relationship and your expression to me. That's what I want more than anything. Remember we saw last week how when God took the people out of Egypt, he brought them to a mountain so they could encounter him and be changed by his presence. And then he had promises for them. We get around the other way. Want to miss the presence of God and want to get there and just get the blessings. Healed, delivered, finances, answered prayer. Oh, he has all these good things. He wants us. He wants relationship. More than anything, God wants you. He wants you. You mightn't think that's very much, but it's everything. He wants you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be in love again with him. Have a fire of first love. Notice that works reveal what we really believe. Say your works, what you're doing, tells what you really believe. It's not what you say. It's actually what you do that shows what you really believe. Churches, often people got a lot of words, but we need to see if our actions are in line with what we really say we're doing or what we really say we believe. If you believe you trust God in the area of finances, then order them according to his principles. If you won't do that, either you don't know what to do or you actually don't believe that it will find the blessing of God. So what we do reveals what we really believe. Is that right? What we do indicates what we're That's why we've got to constantly look what we're doing, not what we think. Their loss of first love. Well, first love is extremely important to God. Listen to what he says in the book of Jeremiah 2, verse 2. He says, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through barren deserts. It's in the Living Bible version. He said, I remember how you loved me. You were so in love. He uses the picture of a person who's just newly got married and they're just still radically in love. Wedding cater hasn't even gone yet. They're just radically in love. 
talking to one another on the phone all the time and, 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 and can't just, can't wait to get home and have time together. He says, oh, I remember you were so radically, passionately in love with me and you followed me even though I took you out into a desert. You still followed me. He said, oh, I remember that. Then he says, what happened? What did you find wrong that you gave up on me and looked for something else to fill the gap? What happened to the first love? What happened to the romance? What happened to that love and passion? Just the love to be in my presence. What happened to it? Where did it go? So in the book of Revelation, he says, I have this one thing. You've left the first love, the first love, the passion, the extravagant, abundant, expressive, generous love. You lost the romance. You lost the simple love of just being with me and communing and talking. You've lost it. So I want you to get it back. I want you to get the passion back. I want you to get the fire back. I want you to get the love back. More love. <laughs> now, Tracy, the first love, unashamed affection. In, this, in the uh, encounter retreat we had, he ended a great session on restoring first love. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Some of the practical keys on it. Abandoned love, vulnerable love. Hey, remember when you're in love, you're vulnerable. You share your whole heart. You don't hold anything back. Vulnerable love, passionate love for the Lord. Where did it go? Where did it go? What happened to it? He said the, that the word first love means the very first. It's the front. It's the first thing in your life. It's the most important thing in your life. You know, anyone who's been in love at any time realizes that you never, never get over your first love. Your first love, you never, never, never forget. The first person you really fall in love with, you just cannot forget them. There's something about that first love, the freshness of it, the falling in love. It's the thing that held me to, to joy through all the years and some of the difficulties we had. She was my first love. Still is. The first love leaves a deep impact on your life. Leaves a mark inside you. So the first love, eh? The church had left the first love. That word left means to yield something up, to let it go in place of something else. Say that again. That word to left the first love means to leave your passionate expressions of love for the Lord and let them go and substitute something else. How many of us realize that something needs to be restored in our walk with God? It's our love to be with him again. It was not too much to get up and pray. It was not too much to give. It was not too much to get in the word. It was not too much to, to come and spend time and to serve the Lord. Nothing was too much. Why? Because you were in first love mode. He said, you left it. You let it go for something else. You said, something else looked better. And there's a lot of reasons people leave first love. I want to share just a few of them. Because if we're going to restore first love, we need to do the things that will restore first love. And part of that is dealing with the issues which have come in, which have locked us around. Say, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3, Paul says, I'm very anxious for you with a deep concern of God himself, anxious that your love should be for Christ alone. Just like a pure maiden saves her love for one man only, for the one who will be her husband. I'm concerned that you be led away from a simple, pure love for Jesus Christ. Just the same way Eve got seduced. That's an amazing thing. What he's saying is, he's saying, what I have in mind and heart for you is that you have a simple love, like a, the first love and the devotion of a wife or a husband, that you have that in your life. 
and that you not be drawn away and corrupted like Eve was, who the devil offered something else, and she took it and left her first love. Now, Paul's writing this to the church. It's very easy for us to want God as an add-on instead of God as the center. Very easy for us to want a God who does not become the center of our heart and life affection, just someone who we just talk to whenever a need comes up or someone we sort of go to when we've got a problem or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Not, not an add-on God. He didn't want, who wants an add-on husband or an add-on wife? You know, they're there when you need them, but the rest of the time ignore them. That's not good. A lot of men run their marriages like that. They show attention to their wife when they want sex, but they actually don't care and love them. The person feels cheapened and abused. Well, think about these things. This is what goes on in life. Now, because what happens is we do the same for God. We come to him when we want something, and then the rest of the time we're not passionate, we're not loving of him. We, we actually got other things that we're interested in, other lovers. And, and this is why we have the season of fasting. It's actually not just about fasting and doing a churchy thing. It's actually about kindling a fire of love from heaven. So you're passionate again. You're in fire again. And love is in your heart again. Jesus starts to be the center of your life again. What a wonderful thing. I'm looking forward to it. That's why I'm fasting. Looking forward to fresh encounter with God, fresh uh, touch of his presence in my life. So why do people leave their passion? Well, let me give you under three headings. Number one, conflicts. Number two, compromise. The, other, the third one, control. Conflicts, compromise, control. I'll just give them to you quite quickly, and then we'll talk how you can get move out of it. But if you don't understand how you got where you are, chances are you won't get out of it either. You just try and then give up because you didn't get out. All relationships require an intentional deposit. It's like a bank account. If you keep drawn out of the bank account, one day the bank manager rings up and says, no more. I hate those calls. Haven't had one in a long time, but I remember when I got one. Very embarrassing. Rang me at work. <laughs> I want to talk to you about your account. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, nothing. <laughs> no, you know, there's a kind of a, when you've overdrawn the account, it's not good. Is that right? So marriage is the same. If you overdraw the account, there's nothing there. And if you lose the passion, then you become indifferent. I hate indifference. I hate that passive indifference. So here's number one, conflict. So one reason that marriage loses first love because of conflicts that are unresolved. And that could be a thing like this. Now, just thinking about the, the, with, a, with any kind of relationship, a conflict that remains uns, unresolved will result in you closing your heart. So let me give you a few of the things that come into our walk with God, and you need to just evaluate whether these things are operating life. Disappointment. When a person becomes disappointment, uh, disappointed, they close up the heart, withdraw, and the fire of first love and vulnerability goes. Oh, I'm not going to put myself there again. Uh, disappointments, disappointed with God. He didn't come through when you wanted, didn't come through the way you wanted, or didn't come through at all. Will you still trust him? That's the core of the issue, isn't it? Or will you shut up your heart? Offenses, we can get offended with God. Even John the Baptist, who, who recognized who Jesus was, become offended and was there in prison. And Jesus had to speak to him and confront him. Blessed is the man who doesn't get offended when, when I don't work out like you think I'll work out. Here's John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. He's carried the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Man, the whole of the nations come out to hear him. Is he important or what? Now he's in jail. Jesus said, now don't get upset about this, but you ain't coming out. You're going to lose your head. So much for the blessings of God. It's because we think of blessing only in a certain way. We think that the blessed life 
is the life that lives in submission to the will and plan of God and seeks to honor God by their life, whether it be in life or in death. We tend to think of it, I want my life and I want God to help me get the best in life. We don't think that's not the deal. The deal really is, actually, he gave his life for me. Now I give my life for him to honor him with my life, whatever that will cost or whatever that will take or wherever it will take me. That's, the, that's a disciple of Jesus Christ, person following Christ. It's not negotiating the terms. If you do what I want, Jesus, then I'll walk with you. But if you don't do what I want, then I'm off. I've got another church. I'll go somewhere else. And that's not the deal. The deal is a covenantal relationship where God extravagantly gives everything. It says, but I need you. I want your heart. And then I want to express my life through you. So all I have is available for you. Now, we just want that bit. We want the all that God has available for us. We don't think that actually God wants something through us too, a relationship that expresses who he is into the community, his love, his patience, his kindness, his forbearance in the face of adversity and difficulty. He's wanting something from you. He's wanting you to carry him to people. But if the, the deal you have with God is, God, if you come through for me, then I'll love you. Uh, then, uh, but if you don't come through for me, I'm not going to love you. Well, what kind of deal is that? What kind of marriage works like that? Unfortunately, most of the marriages in the world, they're all based on contract. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. But this is not God. God works differently. He says, I give you unconditionally. Even if you rebel against me, betray me, walk away, I will not withdraw my love. I will continue to love you. When Judas met up with Jesus in the, in the park, when Judas was about to betray him, and Jesus looked in his eyes... The man he had loved, the man he had walked with, the man he had lived with, man he'd mentored, the man he'd done so many things for, as he looked at his eyes, I love you, Judas. Friend, he called him. Think about that. See, think about that. Think about the immense love God never withdraws. And he wants us to remain in a deep, passionate love with him. So offenses, disappointments uh, can draw us away from God. Sin can draw us away from God. It puts our soul into conflict. Guilt can draw us away from God. We, we feel the weight of the things we've done wrong. Shame. We don't like who we are. We, we continually sing things wrong with ourselves. All of that will draw us continually away from God. Uh, ridicule. Unresolved conflicts inside our soul quench the passion of the relationship. So we've got to deal with stuff in our soul. Here's another one, and that is the area of compromise. Compromise is, is something that endangers a relationship. It's where you've taken on something in, in addition to the relationship you've got. It's a, it, there's a whole range of things like that that compromise our walk with God. And these are the things that as you start to open your heart, God will show you some of these things. Things that enter in and defile. Pictures and images in the mind that continually interrupt your relationship with the Lord. Memories of where you've been and what you've done that come to your mind again when you're trying to get near to the Lord. Uh, uh, unresolved uh, attachments, things that you've got an affection on, that you actually, you really love that. You're drawing your life from it. And, and it's not there's a problem with the thing, but it's not where life is to be found. Life's to be found in the relationship with Him. And then expressed in the enjoyment of everything God has given us. Now, Lot was a man who started off well, and then he began to be drawn out. Oh, he saw great opportunity. Oh, God wants to bless me. I'll just get involved with these people here. And then he got involved with them, and he lost everything. So God wants us passionate, not to be compromised. Not to be compromised, eh? In James 4, verse 4, he says, adulterers. Adulterers. He calls the church adulterers. Isn't that a terrible statement? God calls them adulterers. He said, now listen to me. 
He said, don't you realize that friendship with the world puts you in hostility to God? Now, he uses the word adulterer. Let me describe an adulterer. An adulterer is a person who's in covenant with someone, and then they want an intimate relationship with someone else. It can be emotional intimacy, sharing their heart, or physical intimacy. But an adulterer is a covenant breaker. And what God is saying is this. this. The world killed him. Why would you be friendly with the world and its values? When they killed the one you're married to. Think about that. If someone abuses your spouse, and then you go being real nice to them, what's the spouse supposed to think? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the world is full of wonderful things to enjoy that God has created for us to enjoy. But it's the world's values. It's its culture. It's its belief systems. It's radically opposed to the kingdom of God. And he says, if you try to compromise and welcome it all in and try to be a Christian and have all the world's values, he said, you're going to be an adulterer. Keep your first love and everything else will come right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything lines up okay. Now, does that mean we withdraw from the world? Not at all. God sent us on a mission. We're on a mission there. But if you're not different to it, how can you change it? If your value system, the way you talk, your attitudes to the boss, the way you run your life is identical to the world, how can you possibly be an answer to the world? You're part of the problem. So we try to, the church has sought to kind of compromise with the world or try to be respectable. One of the things, one of the classic, probably the classic I could draw your attention to, is just to see the reactions that come to Brian Tamaki and destiny. Now, isn't that nice? You see how the world loves. I've talked with Brian, been in the church, know what they're up to. It's all good. It's all good. But you talk to someone in the world, they want to know, what do you, where are you? Are you a destiny person? Do you know anything about it? Where are you? They want to know if you're aligned with destiny. Puts a bit of a challenge. Well, actually, I'm aligned with Jesus Christ, and I believe and do a lot of the things that destiny do. Can you understand? What they're opposed to is the, the radical difference that Brian's making in his way of leading Maori people particularly up out of where they are in a victim mode and into a place of significance and impact in the nation. And you've got to understand that that vehement hatred that media and people show is actually the spirit of the world. Is that the one you want to be in love with? So you see, as, we, as our love for Jesus deepens and our lifestyle begins to be oriented around him, then we begin to separate from the value system, not from the people. If you separate from the people, how on earth can you influence them? Some religious groups seek to separate from the world. They get into a monastery. Forget the monastery. Jesus said, go out there among them, get them saved. And 12 men radically obeyed and overturned the whole world in their day. You see? The dilemma is in a, in, a, in a lukewarm environment, a secular environment, very easy to have the energy and the life sapped out of us because we want to be accepted and respectable and uh, rather than actually make a radical difference. Eh? The God answer not withdrawal, but to have a new passion. And out of that new passion, you begin to affect people. I'll tell you, when the passion of Jesus is alive in you, you do upset a lot of people without even trying. Even minding your own business can be enough to get you into trouble. You can't believe the number of times I've just been minding my business and people have got angry with me without cause. 
manifested actually, manifested because the more of the Spirit of God you carry, you think, well, I want more of God. It'll be glorious. No, you'll have everyone around you in an upheaval. Because you radically affect them. What with? Love and joy and peace and truth and holiness. Not the things the world wants. Come on now. As you have these growing in your life, more and more your lifestyle makes you stand out as being different. There's an excellence in your life. There's a difference in your life. And demons have a way of manifesting around you. That's not to be worried about. You don't worry about it. Just love the people, forget the demons, tell them where to go. You've got authority to do it. That's what they're there for. So you can have practice on your authority. Use the authority. Get rid of them. <laughs> That's all they're there for, really. <laughs> for you to practice on. You won't practice. I know why. Come on now. Okay, so restoring the first. Let's just finish it up here. And I'll touch on some things on passion again next week because I really felt it burning in my heart. Hard thing was to know how far to go. And then the next one was control. That's right, control. So control is where we shut down our inner man and begin to control what happens in our soul. When you feel pain, you want to stop the pain. Trying to control. So what happens in life is we try to control our life to make it safe from pain. So when anything makes us uncomfortable, we'll try and control people, control circumstances, so we don't feel the pain. Jesus said, now you need to take up your cross. There's a bit of pain in the cross, you know, the nails, you know. And, and uh, so he said, take up your cross. So control. So a lot of ways we, the, the control comes around. You can make an inner vow. I'll never let anyone do that. It's a form of control in your soul. So that stops passion. There's a lot of men in our nation are shut down because of control spirits. I've noticed as I go around New Zealand, I've noticed a dynamic in the men. And that is that they're often quite shut down and passive. A person who's passive feels things but does not act or speak on them. They just are like spectators of life. Mm -hmm. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Mm -hmm. Well, they say not even that. Passive. Passive men are in bondage. Some people think that that's their personality. It isn't your personality at all. It's actually a demonic bondage it's a total opposite to what God called you to be. Called you to be an, an initiator and a lover. He called men to be lovers. A woman doesn't find it hard to respond to a man who's a passionate lover, who really cares about her and loves her. So men are called to be passionate, to be expressive, to be loving, and to take initiative. Doesn't mean they're better or more gifted or anything. But what happens is that demons come around men and shuts them down, and so they become the passive Kiwi male. Passive Kiwi male are in bondage to demons. Their best friend is a demon. He keeps telling them, be quiet, don't speak up, don't stand up, don't do anything. Don't rock the boat. You might be rejected, you might get hurt. Don't count me in. Come on now, that's bondage. That's, a, that's an evil, wicked spirit. And it, it's like a plague that infests our nation. And you can't blame women for it. You've got to take full responsibility for your own life and stand up and break out of that containment, break out of that control, break out of what's in there so the true man of God can be seen. He's a passionate lover. And he's an expressive person. And he has feelings and thoughts. And he's now coming out of the cave.
When the demon, uh, that, uh, that spirit of witchcraft attacked Jezebel, the mighty man of God hid in a flippant cave. And God's word to him is the same to every Kiwi male who's sitting down passive and in a cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? And there's a lot of men in our nation. God's word to them is, what are you doing here, Elijah? There's a need in the nation and you're in the cave. Where's the passion? Where's the fire? What happened to the man that caught fire from heaven? Elijah's prayer, God, just kill me. Leave me alone here. They were nasty to me. Come on. It's a wicked spirit that works on the hurts and the rejections and the, 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 the belief systems in the soul. So you become passive and you become a victim and you lie down instead of taking ownership and standing up and saying, I am called to be a man of God and make a difference in my nation. Come on, there needs to be a breaking out. Some of you need deliverance, but I'm not going to do it today. You need to take ownership. We'd just be... Part of the problem if I did it today. Because you wouldn't do the one thing you need to do. Decide to be unhappy with the current state of not being in passionate love with Jesus. Passionate love with your wife and family. You would just want someone to give you a handout. And I'm not going to do it. What you need to do is decide that over the next three weeks, you will begin to fast. And you will begin to push in and engage with God personally. And you will come to hate the bondage over your life. See, this is the fast the Lord has chosen to loose the bands of bondage. So if you've got anything that is tangling up your life and your soul, that is tangling up your inner man so there's no passion and love and, and feeling left in there, you've got to do something. And it's not just come up on an altar call. It's make a decision. I will push into God. I will start with fasting. I will couple with prayer. I will put journaling until I get in touch and I begin to discover the things that have defiled and polluted and blocked up my soul. And I'm going to begin to deal with them at the cross. That's how you break out. See, otherwise, now altar calls are wonderful, but they can perpetuate victim culture where we think, I need someone to pray for me. I need someone to pray for me. I need. Poor me is very helpless. Now it's wonderful to have anointed men and women of God pray for us and minister to us. That's one part of the life and ministry of a Pentecostal church. But the Bible says very clearly that just shall live by faith. God wants you to grow in your faith and to become a breakthrough person. We can do the deliverance thing easy. We'll do that at the end of your fasting. We'll have a go then and see if we can shift a few devils off people. But before that, you want to have a look and work with God. What is it has got into my soul? What disappointments have shut down my heart? What offenses have shut down my soul? What sin is clinging around me? What entanglements have I got that I, don't, I need to get rid of? You'd be amazed what God will show you. For some of you, it'll be television. Not bad in itself but actually addictive to the soul and, and quenching all relationships in the home, including the one with God. For some of you, it might be a mobile phone. For some of you, it may be some hobby thing you've got. For some of you, it may be some uh, other addiction inside your life. Whatever it is, let's in these next three weeks begin to walk and talk with God and begin to purpose in our heart. We're going to break out of these things, identify them, and then you can start to bring them one by one to the cross for breakthrough with God. 
Say amen to that. So whatever. So over the next three weeks, is what I want us to do is doing as a church. We're spending time with God. Now, just fasting without fasting means to do without some food, or it means to do without food and every drink. That's a full fast. Or it may mean a partial fast. You do have to do without one meal or two meals a day. Maybe a rotating fast where you just you alternate things that you're doing without, or alternate the days. Whatever it is is not important. As much as this that you actually, we actually as a body begin to push into the presence of God that he might show us the things that are clogging up our soul and we can get rid of them. You say amen to that? And then I believe you're going to hear God speaking because the Bible says, is this the fast the Lord has chosen? That your voice might be heard on high. And probably for most people here, it'll be Elijah, what are you doing in the cave? Jonah, what are you doing inside the big fish? Peter, what are you doing running away? You won't hear condemnation in it. You'll sense in it the tremendous love he has. So much he's willing to confront us to get us back to himself and on course with our life and destiny. What a tremendous thing. I think we should give the Lord a clap, don't you? (laughs) Hallelujah! I have called you with a purpose, says the Lord. I have called you with a destiny. Church, arise and begin to fulfill your destiny. Listen, this is what I believe we're going to do right now. It won't take us just a moment to do it. I want you just for a moment to get the musicians up on the stage. And this is what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to count to three. And I want you in your mind to picture that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is just coming into the house. And we're going to stand. We're going to clap. See, he says he's knocking at the door and he's on the outside trying to get in. And that's the church. Well, if he's knocking on the outside of you trying to get in, then it's time you stood up inside and reached out for the door and opened it up to him. That'd be right. So I'm going to count to three in a moment. This is what I want us to do. I want us to stand up in respect and reverence for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And I want us to clap and honor him. He is our life. Our life is in him. Our hope is in him. All that we have comes from him. You ready to do that, musicians? Okay, we're all ready to go. One, two, three. Let's stand up for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's get Jesus Christ. It's only Him today. Come on. Come on. Give me your best. Jesus, we honor you, we welcome you, ignite a fresh fire in our hearts and lives, Lord ignite a fresh fire, let the passion, let the fire, let the love begin to burn in our soul, in our spirit, in Jesus mighty name we pray, hallelujah, hallelujah.